0: This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Zephyr CMS. It's a modern cloud-based CMS system that's licensed only to agencies. You can find them at zephyrcms.com. More about this later in the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance, and my guest today is Seth Godin. He's an entrepreneur, best-selling author and speaker. In addition to launching one of the most popular and long-running and probably most posts ever <laughs> blog. Uh, he's also written 19 best-selling books, including The Dip, Linchpin, Purple Cow, Tribes. Uh, his latest is called This Is Marketing. And we're not going to talk about books today. We're going to talk about maybe everything but books, but I bet we talk about books. So, Thank so you, sir. It's back. so
1: generous for you to have me. By my calculations, it's the seventh time we've done this together. Actually, those are your calculations, but I'm trusting your judgment you on this one.
0: <laughs> well look I, I think the first interview was meatball wow. sunday so that was a whatever that goes back to- It's been a it's been a <laughs> wonderful journey to be able
1: to live in a world where people like you and me can show up and narrate and teach and do it in a way that has this scale and impact it's thrilling it's hard to imagine where you and i would have been in 1724
0: <laughs> it is very hard to imagine. I imagine it would have been much more, uh, looked yeah. much more like manual I'm labor. Bad, I'm suspect. bad at manual labor. <laughs> so you, about five years ago, I think, I may have lost uh, track, you uh, launched uh, a podcast or jumped into podcasts. Um, you call it Akimbo. Was that the first version or did you kind of evolve that or as it is today? Well, my podcast is history
1: is that uh, I did an early podcast, not as early as you, Uh, Call when I did a conference for a couple hundred people, I wanted to say to the people who couldn't come, look, I'll record it. So I did, and we turned that into a 14-episode podcast. And for a while, like more than a year, it was the number one business podcast in the world because there weren't any business podcasts. Uh, But I felt like I've been lucky enough to know some of the people from NPR. Krista Tippett is a dear friend of mine. And it took me years to get over the Krista I thought I knew from the radio to have an actual engagement with her. And I was wary of showing up in people's headphones every week. It's a form of intimacy that I wasn't really ready for. So I designed a podcast and had it in a piece of paper f- for six years, long before the podcasting started to take off. And I was just, I basically I was afraid. And uh, a producer called me up and offered me a chance to go make a podcast. And I said to myself, well, you got to stop whining. You either got to make it or never make it. So I started making it. That was five seasons ago, uh, not quite five years. Um, so that's the Akimbo podcast. It has no guests. And it I was just trying to, to play with the medium. It's fun to make. I make it uh, back here in the foam covered shower in my home office. And uh, I'll keep doing it as long as I'm getting pleasure out of it.
0: So, of course, you can go to akimbo.com and read this. Oh, I said right? link? Akimbo.com. Is the Did I get there? Link, And then, right. and
1: then right. one day I just um, emptied but, my, my pocketbook what? and bought akimbo.com for this other project.
0: Okay. So uh, tell uh, tell listeners, even though they can go read it themselves, uh, uh, what's the idea behind the so word akimbo?
1: Akimbo is the way Wonder Woman stands with her arms on her hips or folded. Uh, akimbo comes from the Norse. It is a bend in the river, and it means that when you bend something, you actually can make it stronger, and that what we get a chance to do when we approach the world is two things. We can stand arms akimbo ready for action, but also we can bend the culture, and this culture of our lifetime, the last 20 years, has been bent by more people more often than any other culture in history. And we don't have to be victims. We have the chance to actually lead. And so I love the word. And um, I couldn't believe that I was able to acquire this. It's not
0: my most valued possession, but it's certainly up there. So so do you feel that what you do or have done in your lifetime or your body of work is falls into that category of bending culture? Yeah, that's what I've been trying to do
1: since 1977. Uh, the culture in 1977 was how do I change the way 150 kids in Northern Canada think about themselves and where they're going next. That's a very small piece of culture. And bit by bit, project by project, I've been a teacher for the last 40 years. And the idea is pretty simple, which is if I can teach enough people who teach enough people who teach enough people, we're going to change things. And I'm super proud of the people I've taught and really proud of what they've
0: built. The topics in Akimbo um, are all over the map. Would that be fair to say? Um, Well, we're talking about the the Akimbo podcast and there's the Akimbo
1: workshops. The Akimbo Akimbo podcast is designed in the following way. If you and I went on a 20-minute car ride and I said something interesting to you along the way, that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to do it in a way that isn't timely, but that gets under your skin and you – helps you see the world a different way forever. That once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's a good episode of Akimbo.
0: So where, where do you um, birth those ideas?
1: Mostly in the shower. But the way I've done my yeah. work ever since permission marketing is pretty simple, which is even before that with the Fast Company uh, columns. Um, if I don't understand how something in the world works and it's working – that really bothers me. Why are people waiting in line to buy a, a T-shirt from Supreme? Why are people hoarding face masks? Why are people, you know, the culture doesn't happen without an explanation. It might seem random, but there better be a reason. And so my prompt is, why is it like that? And then I try to decode it. So there, there's a podcast I recorded last week of, uh, about modern monetary theory. Why do politicians say we have to balance the budget? They didn't used to say that, and some aren't saying it again. That's interesting, because clearly there's no fundamental law of economics. like There's a fundamental law of gravity, because smart people have completely changed their mind back and forth. Why? So I try to explain that.
0: So... Selfishly, I'd love to know how you produce your show. Um, It is very high quality from a production standpoint. It clearly has, you know, breaks. It has lovely music. Uh, You have the call in things. Um, And I'm hoping you have a team of people that do this, but I'm wondering if it's you pulling a bunch of levers.
1: There's a woman named Alex De Palma, who's a podcast whisperer and a brilliant producer, but she does not do a lot of production on Akimbo. She and I spent uh, a month going back and forth when I started, but I like, being a freelancer when I'm freelancing. And so I do it with my own two fingers. I send her a finished podcast that is 96% done. Um, how do I do it? Mm. I use a Zoom recorder and a good microphone with a preamp in a shower that's surrounded by foam core and moving blankets. And I do it in 1.2 takes. So a 20 minute episode, I will speak for 22 minutes and then I go to uh, use a, piece of open source software called Ocen O C E N that I pay for, and I edit it myself, and then she adds uh, uh, Dave's what's his name Davy's uh, guitar riffs, which I licensed a couple of years ago, and mm. the call in is done with a uh, something called SpeakPipe, that's ten or twenty bucks a month, and it's a very simple technology, so that's how I do it. I intentionally built a podcast that I didn't have to wait for a miracle for it to sound good.
0: I knew I could do it. And if it takes more than that, I'm not going to add it in. So your podcasts, I find them to be uh, very well, very deeply researched. Of course, that may just be your personal interest in reading and the things that that you cover, but do you, uh, do you batch them together? Do you do a month's worth and you're done? Or how I'm I'm curious how you do that? um, Because I, um, uh, well, they come off so really
1: naturally nice of you between this and the production. You're making me blush a little. Um, it, I like to be ahead. My blog is ahead. My podcast is ahead. Then I go back just the week before to make sure, uh, I've gone as long as two weeks without making a podcast in one week. I made four. Um, and I'm not good on deadline. I don't like deadlines. They have the word dead in them. So I try to avoid those lines. Uh, <laughs> In terms of deeply researched, they are not deeply researched at all. All of the uh, data is in the show notes, and that's all I used. Uh, So sometimes I'll read a whole book, and then there'll be a podcast. But I didn't read the book to make a podcast. And um, what I'm – Yeah,
0: I I was going to say, I think that's what I was hinting at. I think that that's just your natural sort of consumption. Well, it it
1: is. But mostly, if I have ever asserted that I am giving a complete and accurate overview of anything – then I have made a mistake. That is not what I am doing. (laughs) I am saying I might not be right, but at least this is interesting. And if you've got something to make me more right, I will correct myself. But I think there are fundamental precepts. You know, we know why CDs are 72 minutes long. And we know why uh, pop music is three and a half minutes long. There might be a hundred reasons, but there's like one key thing there. And once you see that, you go, oh, well, that." So Twitter is the length Twitter is. And so that's really fascinating to me. But maybe it's not fascinating to you. And the good news is it's free and there's another one.
0: <laughs> so uh, I said I wasn't going to talk much about books today, but um, I listened. Uh, I had about an eight-hour car uh, ride and I listened to Malcolm Gladwell's uh, latest book on audio. And uh, it struck me in his own admission that he meant it to strike me this way as a produced podcast. And I'm wondering if, uh, is that, is that the future of audio
1: books? I liked it, but it wasn't here nor there. And uh, so this is the problem. And this is why Akimbo I felt needed to be made with my own two hands, because once you've heard this American life, and once you've heard Mm -hmm. what it really means to produce a radio show, you got to beat that if you're going to make something you're going to sell. Right. Whereas if I'm writing my blog, it's my two fingers. I typed it myself. If I'm making my podcast, here I am, it's me. You're, you're getting intimacy in exchange for production value. And I've always felt this about websites, about movies. You know, if you look at the science fiction movies from the 50s, the reason they don't work is they are neither homemade nor professional. And as soon as George (laughs) Lucas figured out how to make a science fiction movie that's professional, now you've either got to make one at least as good as star Wars or obviously handmade, but, and, and like Dolkowski's and the matrix was so powerful because it was better than Ultraman by so much. And so for me, as a consumer of the media, Malcolm's production got in the way because I was like, oh, I get it. But that interview you did with that general, it doesn't sound as good. You could have just called him from a different phone. And that took me completely out of it. Whereas if he just described to me the phone call, I would have been back in it. And that's the beauty of it. And so you know, with my publisher, the, the book, I did your turn, I designed it myself. But all my other books look just like books. Because even though we could add stuff, it wouldn't make it better. It would make it worse.
0: I want to talk about relevance. Um, you and I were talking before we got on air. We, um, you're one of the few people I interviewed who's been doing this longer than me. Um, so, so we got to commiserate about that a little bit. Um, and I wonder, do do you ever think about the idea of relevance? I mean, a lot of people, especially in a technology world and things, you know, it's like, how do you stay relevant? I get that question a lot. Do you ever think about relevance, or does it? just come from thinking about something else.
1: Well, I'm going to interpret what you mean by relevance, meaning as an alta cocker old person, do I have anything useful to say to the current conversation? You know, when Photoshop got to Photoshop four, I realized understanding alpha channels and using them was going to be beyond my abilities, or I could give up a whole bunch of other things up to me. So since that day, I have not had anything relevant to say about the state of Photoshop. You got to opt out, Right. And so the way I deal with that is by going to a new field. So I helped invent email marketing, but now there's stuff about email marketing that I just can't contribute to because I haven't been in it. Uh, I was was on the web before there were websites, right? But I can't speak intelligently about the fundamentals of SEO because I'm not in it. So I have defined my relevant area as slightly ahead of the – uneducated masses talking about strategy as opposed to deep in it with the informed technorati talking about tactics. Cause I can't do that.
0: So, and if it wasn't obvious, I was uh, suggesting that you are. Well, I don't care violent.
1: about, I, you know, part <laughs> of the price of, of living on the frontier that I've chosen to live on is I'm going to be wrong a whole bunch of times. And I'm okay with being wrong as long as I'm not being mean and as long as I fix it. And, you know, when I dismissed the world wide web in 1993 and a half, 1994 as a flash in the pan, that cost me $40 billion. So I've lost more money being wrong than most people. And, uh, (laughs) but I think most people who follow my work are glad that I keep trying because I still open doors now and then. And, that's my job
0: you know today content is everything so our websites are really content management systems but they've got to work like one check out Zephyr it is a modern cloud-based CMS system that's licensed only to agencies it's really easy to use it's very fast Uh, won't mess with your SEO I mean it really reduces the time and effort to to launch uh, your clients websites beautiful themes just really fast, profitable way to go. They include an agency services to really kind of make a, them your plug-and-play dev shop. Check out Zephyr.com. That is Z-E-P-H-Y-R-C-M-S.com. So let's talk about uh, your uh, the Akimbo workshops. And and I don't know if this fits into the Akimbo workshops, but, but the first one, I right. guess, is Alt-MBA. So
1: the Alt-MBA, the idea five years ago was I read that 97% of the people who took uh, the AI MOOC, 100,000 people took it, 3,000 people finished it. It's a 97% dropout rate. And that was considered excellent. And since then, the dropout rate for MOOCs has gotten worse. Try to imagine an institution where uh, 100 people show up for class and at the end of the course, there are three people in the front row. We would would shut it down, right? So I'm like, well, why is that? And what can I do as an example to help shake this field up, because I believe in learning. And so I sat down and I invented the Alt-MBA to do the opposite of what almost every online course does. No videos, uh, no tests, no certificate. It's not free. And there's an enormous amount of peer-to-peer work with small group coaching. The opposite. And we have a 97% completion rate, a 3% dropout rate. And we have people in 78 countries and we've changed their lives, but it's not cheap. And so I was like, well, how do I do this in tactical areas where we can use slightly different technology, do it asynchronously at a larger scale. And so we have the storyteller storytelling. Sorry. We have the story skills workshop, which launches as you and I are talking this week. We have uh, the marketing seminar, the creatives workshop, the bootstrappers workshop, And on and on, each one designed to attract a thousand or two thousand people who want to come together and actually do work. And there are videos in those, but not like on masterclass. And the people who are in this space look at what we are doing when I show it to them behind the scenes and their jaws drop because we purpose built it not to be popular, but to be transformative. And my plan was. Run the Alt NBA twice, prove it works, and then set it out there as an example. And now we're up to the fortieth one. We have a hundred coaches around the world because <laughs> if it works this well, how can I walk away from it? So now it's mostly an obligation.
0: So you mentioned coaches. You're also partnering, I, I think, on story right. skills with Bernadette Jiwa. Um, is, is that a model that just fell in your lap, or is that a model that you're pursuing to to actually have kind of other? area experts. Right, so we have that one.
1: We have a podcasting fellowship, which I do with Alex De Palma, who produces my podcast. There are two of our most successful ones, which is fine for my ego. Um, And it is tempting to think of ourselves as a publisher. The challenge we have is whoever we work with has to be willing to do it our way. Their content, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. our structure. And so we're not killing ourselves looking for the next instructor. But if someone with a body of work shows up who has a following, we're totally delighted
0: to figure out how to make that work. Well, Bernadette's been on this show before as as well. And uh, um, I think that uh, I, I may well, take it. Well, we would
1: love to have you as our guest. Just
0: so uh, drop me a note no, and I'll, say, I'll set you up. Uh, well, I can never stop learning. Um, let's talk about conferences. Are they done? The froth is, is gone for
1: a really, really long time. So the evolution feels to me like this. Uh, Mark Twain started as the first professional speaker in the U.S. And the math of hiring Mark Twain was there was no way to get any Mark Twain without going to see him in person. It's worth five bucks. A whole bunch of people come to the room. Mark's happy. The promoter's happy. Then business conferences started. And those require a trip to Orlando, a horrible hotel, bad food, and and on and on. Well, if you're spending all that money, spending 5% of it for speakers, nothing. And so the race was on, not to get good speakers, but famous speakers who give status to the organization. Because if you can say to the crowd, you're important, important enough that I'm dragging in a living ex-president, the the crowd feels good about themselves and it justifies part of the trip. Well, this led to more froth on top of more froth on top of more froth because once a conference is up and running, it's hard to say I'm not going anymore and easy to say, oh, I got to go again this year. And now we have this forced interruption and people are going to relook both at personal safety, but mostly at value for time spent. And so a whole bunch of conferences that were not bad are going to go away forever because if you're going to, it's like tuna in your sushi, you shouldn't eat tuna and sushi ever, but if you're gonna, it should be a really good piece of sushi. And so (laughs) I think that some conferences that are run properly and beautifully and that make people cry, those deserve to last and they probably will. I think certain industries have trade shows that will survive. But the idea that an impresario can make seven figures putting together an event for three days, I don't know. And as someone who gave a thousand speeches at conferences. I loved being on stage. I hated every other element of it, but I love being on stage. So I kept going because it's a way to do my craft and then be off duty and to touch people. But what I learned from these Kimbo workshops, more people have been changed more deeply by the workshops I'm not actively in live than have ever been changed by me being on stage. And so I'm saying to people who want me to come for the foreseeable future, sorry, I'm here to help, but I can help better doing
0: this. Yeah. And I wonder when I hear you talk about, you know, one attend events that make them cry. I mean, I I think increasingly that's going to be 25 people, 50 people, you know, not. Well, it's
1: it is possible to run a 5000 person event that is transformative. You know, I remember when Bill and Alan started Fast Company. I don't know why they invited me, but I went to the first four advances they held, which were like retreats, but going forward. And several of my best friends in the world are my best friends because I met them there. And that was 300 people, right? And, uh, a good TED conference is worth the trip. The problem is not all TED conferences are good ones and it's hard to tell in advance before you go. But what we're going to have to do, and this is the shift that everyone has been fighting, watching someone from the seats of an auditorium doesn't count. That, that like you can do that for an hour. You can't do it for eight. You're going to have to do the gutsy thing of making connection happen. And what Zoom taught us is space and time are no longer the driving factors, it's guts. Who has the emotional effort and labor to look someone in the eye and tell them the truth? And if we can figure out how to have that happen in real life, bring it on. But it's already happening in digital. And there are forces that are fighting yeah. to make it feel like real, like real life, forcing us to sit there and just take notes at a meeting online, which is stupid. And I'm hopeful that we'll use the interruption to say, wait a minute, there's a lot to do. Let's get personal. So I am uh, working Fantastic. on my next
0: book. And,
1: uh, <laughs> your, I, last, your last I, one was a really big leap, and you should be
0: really proud of it. Thank you, I appreciate that, and it was a big leap. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this one will be a combination of leaps, I think, um drawing from my early work with maybe what I've learned over the last couple of years too but uh my my question in this is um it's certainly I can't imagine anything being done right now that's not being colored by right now um and you know it makes me wonder you know, the, in the traditional book publishing world when this thing comes out in like eight years, um, you know, what uh, what a book is going to mean, you know, at that point. I mean, there's, you know, the statistics about way better than me because I hear you quote them all the time uh, of how many books are being produced, um, you know, on a yearly basis. You know, what 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 does it take for a book to actually break through? And is it is it just purely audience or is it an idea?
1: Just for the viewers at home, since we've been talking, 40 books have been published. Right, It's every hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There isn't a book shortage. There will never again be a book shortage. That's not what books are for. Uh, Sean Coyne has pointed out that the author and the publisher have a job. Sell the first 10,000 copies. Mm -hmm. After that, the book has a job. And the book's job is sell the next million copies. And if a book doesn't do that after you've done your job, the book needed to be better. And so the purpose of a book is it is a contained, maybe digital, probably not, device that stands the test of time that person A can give to person B. They gain status and they give status by having that transaction. We can't do that with most other things. And the thing about self-published books is uh, just like traditionally published books, a lot of them aren't very good. And what the public has figured out is it doesn't matter who publishes a book. It matters that it changed you. And, you know, I, I mentioned Ben and Rosander's book on my blog last week. And more than a thousand copies were purchased from one blog post from a book that was written 20 years ago. And my friend Jacqueline Novogratz has written a book and her book has reached thousands of people. That's not enough, right. but it's entirely yeah. possible that those thousands of people will tell thousands of people. And if they do.
0: So it says once you tell people, if you don't mind, uh, where they might find out more about your upcoming workshops and get on your list, I know you have waiting lists for them and whatnot, uh, where they can at least do right. do some reading and research.
1: We'd love to have you. It's at altmba.com is the big one. And then the rest are at akimbo.com. And if you'd rather just read 7,482 blog posts, <laughs> they're at Seth's.blog. awesome But I just keep making stuff because no one's charging me to make it. And I'll just keep putting it in the world as long as people want it. So it's a privilege. I can't believe I get to do this. And I'm so lucky to know you seven times
0: a charm. I think I'm finally getting this podcasting thing right with you. So thank you for letting me try it. Well, Seth, always a pleasure to have you on. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to run into you when uh, we're back out there on the road again. Thank you, John.